0: Welcome to episode two in our Empowered Birth series. Today we're chatting all about birth plans and preferences. So enjoy.
1: Hey mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with physiology.
0: To the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. I love talking about birth. Now, today's topic is episode two of a four-part empowered birth series with the wonderful midwife Loretta. She is a mom, a midwife, a birth educator, an all-round legend, and she's joining us for this four-part series. If you want to connect with her, she is on Instagram at midwife Loretta, and today we are talking all about birth plans and preferences. Now, I'll be honest, Back in the day, first time pregnant, Laura really thought that birth plans were a little bit of a waste of time. I thought that they set you up to fail. I thought that being quote unquote rigid around birth plans and preferences meant that you were actually less likely to achieve the birth outcome that you wanted. However, time, wisdom, age, experience has completely done a 180 on what I used to think. And I actually think the importance of birth preferences is really, really important. And communicating what you want with your birth team is actually really helpful. And as Loretta is gonna talk about in today's episode, as a midwife trying to help someone have their ideal birth scenario, it's actually much easier for them if they know what you want because everybody comes in with a completely different set of preferences. So if you just assume that they know what you want, the birth may not go exactly the way you want because you want people to support your preferences as much as possible and obviously there's going to be scenarios where that can't happen and that's why we're talking about not being rigid but also preparing I think preparing is really important so this is an episode for anyone out there who's thinking oh but I don't want to set myself up to fail you won't, okay? This is such an important episode. So in today's episode, we cover the importance of communicating your birth preferences and how planning for your best case birth scenario actually helps to rewire the brain towards that outcome, how there is no failure in birth, the importance of reflecting upon and deciding what is truly important to you for your birth, not what society tells you is important. And I discuss my personal preferences with this and how I had to work through what I wanted versus what I thought I should want. Why going with the flow is not always the best way and the importance of taking ownership of your birth which I think is a really key part. So that's what we're going to cover today. I think you're going to love this episode. If you do love it please jump over at Physio Laura on my socials and tell me what you loved about this episode. I really like hearing what you're getting out of each podcast episode and if you want to connect like I said Midwife Loretta on Instagram jump on over and tell her how amazing she is too and remember we still have two episodes coming up in this series where we'll be covering perineal preparation and recovery after a tear or an episiotomy. We'll also be covering optimal maternal and baby positioning. So we're talking about getting that baby in the perfect position for labor and birth. Now, if you are a Pregnancy Posse member, you can consume all these podcast episodes at once. I upload them all at the start of a series, so you don't have to wait for them to be released. So if you want to jump in there Listen to this all at once, consume it, binge it, go for it. You can find out more info about my membership at thepregnancyposse.com. And I wanna let you know that we do have an epic bonus material for this podcast series. Loretta has kindly gifted all Pregnancy Posse members her Peri What Guide, which talks us through what perineal tears are, how to best prepare to reduce your risk of getting a perineal tear and how to best recover from them as well. So everything you wanna know about Perennial preparation you can check that out it is our bonus material for this podcast series inside the pregnancy posse and we also remember for those women who really want to prepare well for birth mentally and physically we cover all of this inside the resources library in the posse we also have an epic birth story section on the community forum so where women share a whole range of different birth experiences and what they've learned and they reflect upon what helped them the most and i think it's such an epic thing to be able to listen to and read other women's stories so that's a really beautiful part of the membership too so if that feels like it's a good fit for you and you're wanting to prepare and you're wanting to take that step forward with getting ahead of the eight ball mentally and physically for labor and birth come and join us inside the pregnancy posse it is thepregnancyposse.com and you can trial it for seven days now we're going to jump into episode two now chatting all about birth plans and preferences i know you're going to love it enjoy So let's talk about birth preferences because you mentioned it before. And I think this is a big part of someone preparing for birth. I think it's so important, but I also know it gets a lot of stigma because people think, I know there's some terrible lines out there about like the longer someones I don't know if you've heard these, but the longer someone's birth plan, uh, like the more likely they are to have a cesarean or, you know, like stupid, I should stop saying stupid, silly. Silly lines like that. So I know a lot of women think that, well, birth plans just make me that person, you know, that obnoxious, picky, you know, rigid, you know, person. And it's not like that at all. So I want to bust through that for any woman that might be hesitant to maybe think about birth preferences or birth plans because they want to go with the flow. I want to know your take on it.
1: Yes. It's such a bugbear of mine, Laura. I am such an advocate for birth plans. I definitely see that stigma and the judgment around women wanting to do that. But I think we need to understand that it's not about trying to control the situation. It's just about getting really clear on what you want, what you don't want having that communication with your partner and with your care provider as well. And I love when a woman comes in with a birth plan, you know, then I I feel like, yes, they've done the work, they've done the prep and then I know how to support them in the best way possible for them to make her feel like we talked about really safe. And so that she can just do her thing and I don't have to ask her lots of questions. Um, So I love it and I think we need to give women more credit around them and I think sometimes it's that language that people think is problematic but really let's just own it like let's own that we are planning for our birth we plan for holidays we plan for other major life events so why wouldn't we plan for our birth it's yeah I really wanted I want us to change that because it's so unhelpful and yeah maybe we can't we can't control how it's going to play out. But by putting all these things in place, we can, again, help put ourselves in that best position so that mm. hopefully we can achieve that.
0: Yeah, I think there's that from what I hear from my Pregnancy policy members and my community, people don't want to set themselves up to fail. And I think people yeah. think that if they plan that they're setting that bar here so if something mm. goes, you know, askew and goes off to the left rather than going straight ahead that then they're going to be disappointed. So could you maybe mm-hmm. talk to those women who are feeling like they have preferences but they also they want to surrender, you know, they want to go with the flow so they're not disappointed?
1: Yeah, I I totally understand that too. It's like striking that balance again, isn't it? And I think for me, you know, I always talk about creating, create your birth plan for a normal vaginal birth, for a cesarean birth, and even creating a plan for your feeding preferences and and your postpartum. So for all of those situations, so you're sort of pretty clear around whatever will play out. And I think one of the best things about having that plan and that communication in place is that there's power in you know, your partner, knowing those things, and and your care provider. But I, I think we've, we talk a lot about surrender in labour and birth, which is really tricky, because we we don't often surrender a lot in our day to day life. But then when we get to labour and birth, it's like, oh, trust and surrender. And it's something we have to practice. And I think by by planning for the best situation and focusing on the birth that you do want, it doesn't mean that you know, there's a failure if that doesn't play out. But we know like the power of the mind body and focusing on what we do want, the, you're rewiring the brain to go towards that pathway. So, you know, still plan for the other things, but then maybe let them go and get back to focusing on what you do want. Mm-hmm. And there really is no failure in birth. And I think having that understanding and maybe taking that pressure off yourself that I'm going to do all I can to create the best birth experience for me mm. but if that doesn't happen you know I didn't fail sometimes these things just need to happen mm. um, and also if if you are feeling like that sense of failure you can like I really encourage people to debrief about that because it can be really traumatic yeah
0: um,
1: as we were saying even if you had a normal birth um, or a cesarean trauma is you know, individual.
0: I think that's really, really valuable. The other thing you're asking women to do is to like actually really sit with themselves and ask themselves what is important to me? Not what do I think I need to do to have a great birth experience because it's so individual. And this is where I think maybe some women get caught in the trap of, well, a good birth plan looks like wanting X, Y, and Z. But I guess if they really sit with themselves, actually ask themselves is that important to me or is it just that I think it should be important to me and really like picking battles is the wrong word but for want of not thinking of another phrase picking your battles like some things are going to be much more important to you than other things so I remember going into my birth and um, you know like being left to my own devices and you know I didn't want to like someone asking me all the time how I was going and I didn't want uh, vaginal examinations if everything was going well and things like that was really important to me because I didn't want to be disturbed. But then when it came to other things like delayed cord clamping, like I felt, you know, that, that was a really good thing, but it also wasn't as big of a factor as the other things, you know? So like, it was for me, it was like, and the breast crawl, that was another thing that I thought I would really love for that to happen. But at the same time, if anything was to not happen, that's probably the first one that I'm happy to like let go of you know, it's not as important to me as say being undisturbed in my birth. So I think it's really important to like, not everything is equal for every woman. So I think, you know, like looking at a sheet of paper and looking at all the things you could have a preference over, there's going to be different weighting on different things. Like some women, and this is again, where I think you need to really sit with yourself and go, what is important to me? Not what I think I should do, not what I think you know creates the perfect birth but what truly is important to me because I think it can be a bit overwhelming for women as well and if you're not truly choosing preferences for you the individual then I can see how that just gets all a bit murky and all a bit you know um, tricky to manage because you don't actually probably care that much about it you just put it on the list because you thought you should so um, yeah I think that's really important because I yeah I had to go through that process myself like I said I had to go you know what for me, the breast coral it's actually not that important, you know, like, even though I know it's good and, you know, all these amazing benefits. So, yeah, I think it's really cool to have the, what's the most important and what's really not that important and you could put it all on, but still just knowing, yeah, what are you happy to probably budge a bit more on versus no, I'm actually really strong on my stance in this. I'm really going to make sure that this happens, you know, as, as much as humanly possible, I guess, For those women who aren't exposed to this, and I hope all women are, but they may not be. I certainly wasn't in my first two births. Could you maybe just talk us through like a a quick little list of the things women could be thinking about when it comes to what their preferences are? Because a lot of women would go, I don't even know, like, what choice do I have? What things do I get to have a preference on? So could you maybe walk us through what their preferences might
1: look like? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think sometimes that's hard for people to get started because they think, well, I don't even know. And that's what it's about, like knowing your options because otherwise you don't have any. If you don't even know that's a possibility, how do you know you can choose that? And that's, the again, the power in it, isn't it, knowing your options. Hmm. So I would just, like you said, Laura, I think that was such a crucial point What is important to you? And that's one of the first questions I ask people in my class is what's important to you for the birth of your baby Mm. and how do you want to feel and what can you do to make that happen? So that broader question and then asking about, yeah, what makes me feel safe? Just jotting those things down. And then I think with birth plans, you know, totally everyone do what works for them, but I think dot points are good just because, um, as, you know, maybe the midwife in the room, it's good to be nice and clear. We're not reading paragraphs and paragraphs. I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, that's okay. But just from a midwife's uh, perspective, dot points work well. Um, so you could you could break it up into the phases of your labour. So you could have, you know, your early labour, what you want to do um, during that time, your active labour, you know, and pushing, and for each of those, I would just think about maybe the environment, so your preferences for your environment, working with pain. So what are some tools that you've sort of been practising at home or that you plan to use in labour so that we're aware of that, so that we can offer that? Um, you, know, some, you know, if you're in labour, like you said, you're not consciously thinking of those things. So um, that's where we come in, your support people come in. Sorry to
0: interrupt, Lerita, just to go back, just to give some um, real-life examples. When you're talking environment, you're thinking things like dim lights, um, music, playlist, um, essential oils, that sort of thing, yes?
1: Yes, absolutely. Sorry, I do. I yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yes. Then, so like second nature in my mind, but I need to break it
0: off <laughs> yeah. I know the listeners like really, well, I, anyway, like really tangible yeah. things. And then when you're talking about, um, I think you said early labour? um no 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 yeah. what'd you say oh um birth techniques and skills so you're talking then yeah. about things like tens machine fitball yeah. um massage like writing yeah. down the things that you're hoping to try
1: yeah, yeah cool no that's good i just want to clarify yeah, that. absolutely so, and yes yeah, so i should give more detail about that so yeah what are you going to use so working with pain um and that will be something that i would ask people when they come in in labor what are your plans to work with pain? Or maybe you don't want to work with pain and you want, you know, some medication or you want an epidural. So your, yeah, pain, working with pain preferences or your pain management preferences. So, yeah, for example, if you did want that epidural, like maybe when you'd like to have it or, you know, would you like to do, go with the pain ladder? Would you like to start low? So maybe you want to just start with, using the non-medication type pain relief so do you want to use your touch your movement your tens your um massage like you said um and then moving on to maybe your gas um your nitrous oxide gas um and then what you'd like to go to so generally we would start down there and move up to the more um probably you know stronger more invasive kind of pain relief so Um, even
0: Sorry, I imagine that that's also where women who are on their subsequent births might also say, I used this last time and it really didn't feel good. So they might have a, do not offer me (laughs) X, Y, Z because I used that in my first birth. It made me feel really heady or dizzy or whatever it is. So they might already have a preference of like, I've tried this, it definitely didn't work. Yeah, so that might be like a, please don't offer this to me.
1: (laughs) Absolutely, yes, exactly. So what you do want and also what you don't want Uh, And with that too, you could put um, things like I will ask for pain relief. So please don't offer it to me. I will ask for it. Um, In case, because as you said, it can be very tempting if that's, you know, you're struggling, you're in that challenge Mm. um, and it might not be what you want, but if someone offers it at the right time. Mm. um, So working with pain and then you could think about things like, The pushing phase of labor. So would you prefer to push instinctively or would you like some direction with your pushing? Would you like uh, a perineal compress? So would you like a warm pack on your perineum as the baby's head is crowning? Um, Positions for birth. And again, these are hard because you don't always know what you'd like until you're in those moments. And that's okay. Um, But just having a bit of some ideas that you think you may like Um, can be helpful, again, just for the people around you to suggest them um, in case it's needed. And just to Um,
0: confirm, because I'm a little out of touch with birth in a hospital, because I have not had a vaginal birth in a hospital, but when it does come to the pushing phase, like for a woman, I'm thinking, like, who's, you know, not hooked up to drips and drains and doesn't have an epidural, so she's uninhibited with her movement, as a midwife, would you just let her get into whatever natural position she wants to get into to push unless she needed some guidance because baby maybe wasn't, you know, descending as you would have hoped? Or do you tend to guide and encourage a particular position? How does it, or is it a case by case basis?
1: I think, yeah, very much case by case. But personally, I would be, yeah, allowing her to go wherever feels best for her. Mm. You know, I'm not the one birthing this baby as long as we know, you know, we can catch baby if she wants us to do the catch mm. and unless she needed some guidance or if, you know, maybe things were not progressing as we'd like or if there was other things going on, mm. maybe we're thinking baby's getting a bit tired or anything like that, Um then I would suggest position changes, maybe be more upright for a little bit, mm. maybe try, yeah, try sitting on the toilet, try sitting on the birth stool, that sort of thing. But I think, yeah, just supporting her wherever she wants to go is yeah. really important. But it is, you know, probably in hospital a little bit harder to be uninhibited because mm. of those other restrictions that are placed on women. So mm. you're probably not as free to roam as you would be, obviously, at home.
0: And that's where I think it's great as well to do the preparation because uh, knowing how to use the hospital room to birth, you know, knowing Mm -hmm. I know so many women love throwing the head of the bed up leaning over it in that sort of kneeling position that's such a good position I guess it, it it's good for everyone in that like baby can be del- they're born on the bed you know from a safety point of view um, women can be upright and, and whatnot so I guess it's about like understanding that room and how you might work that room to favor you um, yeah I think that that's really cool I had a very just instinctive pushing i didn't um, need any guidance but naturally i wanted to be upright so i just vividly remember i went from normal labor contractions where i was preferring being on my side and Mm. like in an instant i don't know if you see this in women but i just stood bolt upright for one Mm. contraction it's like i couldn't be on my side i just stood bolt upright and started doing the like "Mm," (laughs) like really (laughs) intense down and i was like wow (laughs) <laughs> it happened. I didn't have to do anything. Like it just, my body was like, right, we're on, you know. And it's just, I remember yeah. it went from that for however long, to then I just dropped to my knees because I couldn't, I couldn't be upright anymore. And that's how I delivered. I hate the word delivery. Yeah. It kind of really changed. Birth? Yes, birth. That's how yeah. I birthed my daughter. Yeah. I'm really yeah. that's no you. I'm <laughs> not owning it. You birthed your baby. No one delivered your baby. I ha- I can't stand it either. That's another bad bear in Oh, mind. <laughs> I'm trying so – it's like with everything, hey. You've just got to consciously – every time I say deliver, I'm like, oh, just, oh, I've got to get out of that. But, yes, yes. um, where I birthed my baby, I just naturally yes. wanted to be on my knees. I found it really interesting oh. just to be like, wow, my body was telling me that that's exactly how it wanted to be. And I remember a girlfriend telling me a story about her birth and it was the opposite in that um, her team around her was telling her, come on, be upright. Like, that's going to be the best position, blah, blah. And she just kept saying, and her baby was getting a bit stuck. And she's mm. like, I just, I knew I need to be on my side. I just had this yeah. instinct. I need to be on my side. And so she kept doing what everyone was telling her to do because, you know, we know that upright may be better. And mm. I'm sure for the majority of women, it probably is from a pelvic outlet opening point of view. And then she, she was uh being threatened I say that word because at the end of the day it is with a cesarean section if baby wasn't coming down and she just went you know what stuff this I'm gonna do what my body is telling me to lay on her side and within like two minutes baby was delivered so I was like yeah
1: why do we we think we are the experts in like that she knew what she needed to do and I think that speaks to a lot about that yeah, it's sort of a cultural thing in hospitals that we think we always know better and that we're the experts, but women are the experts, they often know and when they're able to tune into and trust their bodies, yes, they know what they need to do, it's like with home birth, I remember I've watched a few home birth videos and sometimes you see maybe the head is born and maybe there's a few contractions and those shoulders aren't restituting, they're not rotating. And instinctively the women will maybe put their leg out into a lunge and they're opening up that outlet. You know, they know they need to do that, create a bit more space for their baby and their baby is born. Like it's it's amazing when we support the physiology and women to trust, they they know, don't they? Okay. And I think
0: it works um, in another instance as well. Like I know most people acknowledge these days that the whole birthing on your back thing is maybe not the best position from, again, open pelvic outlet. And so I think that's more, you know, like known these days as opposed to the generation before where most women birthed on their back because it was better from an obstetric point of view but not necessarily from a maternal point of view. However, I now see women who almost feel like they need to justify oh, but I actually felt better on my back. So I went on my back to birth my baby and I'm like, that's amazing. It doesn't matter if that's been thrown out as like maybe not the best way. If you felt like you needed to be on your back to birth your baby, hallelujah, that's awesome. So I think it's also like telling women, this is what the evidence says that yes, upright positioning, radar, but you do whatever your body wants to do. If you want to birth on your back, Birth on your back. If you want to be standing upright, stand upright. But it's like, because I think sometimes women then go, "Oh, this is the ideal scenario in their head." Yes, the right way. Yes, the right way. Same with like, uh, I remember speaking to my doula, and she was saying how, you know, she was always at home birth A lot of women birth in the pool. She had put water birth on a pedestal. She got in the um in the water, and she was like, "Oh, oh, this is not feeling right." And she birthed on land because it just didn't feel right, and she had to kind of work through like oh, that's okay because my body didn't want to birth in the water and then there's not a better then scenario. There's just a what's the best way for you. So I just think it's, again, like I guess it's like taking everything just with a grain of salt, taking what sits right with you and then just you do you, boo.
1: Like you I do love boo. that. We need that same for all women. You do you, boo, in your birth. because. Yeah, maybe that is the best thing for her. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly, Laura. I love that. Such a good reminder for women.
0: And I just wanted to touch on as well, and you shared this post a couple of weeks ago and I was like, "Oof," I really resonated with it. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about it. But it was the idea of going with the flow in birth and how maybe that is not the best solution for women because going with the flow ultimately means that you will probably go with the flow of the hospital procedures, guidelines, scheduling, bed availability, et cetera, et cetera. So could you maybe talk us through, because I've got a lot of girlfriends who also want to go with the flow and it's not to scare people because that is certainly a personality trait, I think, to go with the flow and that's cool. But maybe just flesh out what going with the flow might actually look like for women.
1: Yeah, I, it's one that I hear a lot of and, and I get it. I want women to feel that they can trust their care providers. And I hear that a lot. You know, I trust the experts. But again, like we talked about before around uh, what were we saying about, you know, us feeling like as the, the midwives and the obstetricians, like we're the expert. And that really takes your power away from you as the woman who is doing it. And we want to balance. We want you to trust whoever is caring for you. But you need to take ownership of your birth because if you don't, and especially so if you're birthing in the hospital system, like, yes, we're so lucky to have access to medical care. But often what we see is this risk of over-intervention. So if you go with the flow, you maybe don't question things, um, you don't have your own information and knowledge, you're more likely to be swept up into that. And that can mean that you're more likely to have intervention and maybe not have a great birth experience. Obviously, like I said, we're lucky to have access to medical care, but hospitals are institutions. So that means they're catering for large numbers of people. And so they have these policies in place that mean we practice consistently unfortunately those guidelines are not always evidence-based firstly and it takes a long time for um, practices to change so even if we learn that maybe that's not best practice takes a long time I think they say around 15 years for change to happen with policies and procedures which is a long time and so what that means is it doesn't always account for the individual so, you know, we have maybe we do this certain practice um, for, you know, when women go over their due date. So usually it's 41 plus 3 and then an induction will be booked. Um, and, of course, you know, there's, there's reasons around that. But we're using that information to care for all women and, you know, that those things might not be true for all women at that gestation. Um, so we really need to look at what's going on with the individual and not always place those same rules on that person because maybe they don't have other risk factors. And, you know, it's it's a really hard one because I see women, when they get swept up in going with the flow, they it's almost like if I look after them postnatally, they can almost appear a bit shell-shocked like wow I don't know how I ended up here Mm -hmm. I started here with an induction but I didn't know all these things and this cascade we talk about the cascade of intervention that I've ended up with and I didn't know the reasons why that would happen Mm -hmm. Um, so it's and it's really sad that that happens and that women can't just go with the flow um but unfortunately it's yeah we we really need to take ownership of our births if we want to create that great experience and i don't mean that it's women's fault if that does happen but our system needs a lot of work and it needs a lot of improvements and we need more options for women with continuity because of with a midwife so
0: yeah yeah no I think what you said is is spot on and it's not a blaming game it's just like I think it's empowering to say you need to take ownership for your birth I I don't think I don't interpret that as like pointing the finger I interpret that as like you get to take ownership of your birth like that's a really important part because you are an individual you you only know what's best for you and it's not like I, I do think the maternity system is a bit broken, but mm. it's not that the system is bad or malicious. I think it's just that the system, like you said, is set up to cater to the masses. We have a lot of women birthing these days. And for example, for me, I had a three-day labor. That's just so tricky to manage in a hospital because... Mm. It's, it's long. We've got beds. We need women to be able to have rooms. We need to organize schedules and shifts and make sure we've got enough staff and, you know, make sure that our resources are there. And I get that. I so appreciate that. That's why I knew for me, that system wasn't going to work personally. And that's not to say it doesn't work for everyone, but it's just about acknowledging where, where the system needs to try and hurry you up or, you know, reduce the risks, you know, so yep. that they get healthy baby, healthy mum, which is all great, but it's so there's so much nuance and there's so much individuality in that. And that's for you to own and for you to communicate and for you to express because you're not one of many. You are the only Loretta, you are the only Laura, you're the only person that's going to carry this birth experience for the rest of your life. And so it's really important that you speak up for what's really important for you. Um, So I think that's the message. Yeah. I don't, I don't think what you're saying at all is like a, it's your fault. I think it's so empowering to be like, you've got to own that because like I said, you are the only Laura, you are the only Loretta and the system is set up to try and essentially move people through you know like we we don't have the resources um we want women to be healthy we want babies to be healthy and we want in and out of hospital as soon as possible because that's that's the best way for the hospital system to work you know and so it's up to you to bring the individuality to it i guess does that make sense
1: yeah that's so true lauren that's i yeah really should have raised that point about limited resources and your point about yeah we want healthy babies but and of course that is important we all want that but it's also healthy mums physically and emotionally because that's why that's why I'm passionate about this because birth matters it's it may only be one or two or 3 days in your life but that has the potential to impact you for the rest of your life and going into your parenting journey which is a lot longer than birth so we want to we want women to feel emotionally um, and mentally well. And it's just so crucial. And I think that's where we fall down because Mm -hmm. we're focused on the physical and not Mm -hmm. so much the experience and the the emotional side of birth and Mm -hmm. how that can impact women. Yeah, no, 100%. I think it's a great message to share.
0: Hello, mummers. I really hope that you love that episode. I wanted to make a note before I forget as well that Loretta and I did mean to discuss birth preferences for the third stage of labor which is when you deliver the placenta and for the immediate postpartum phase as well but we uh, actually forgot to talk about it but I just wanted to mention it here when we were talking about the different preferences for early labor what you might like and for active labor we we do actually recommend that you have preferences for the third stage and for postpartum we just didn't get a chance to talk about it so that is definitely something to explore with your birth team about what preferences you might want to include there just off the top of my head for example with the f- third stage the delivery of the placenta you might want to have a discussion about the I think it's syntosin they call it um that is sometimes routinely given whether or not it is necessary i think it would be worthwhile having a discussion with your birth team about having a natural delivery of the placenta versus an induced delivery of the placenta um maybe having a discussion about how long they will you know quote unquote allow you to go before the placenta is delivered and have a really like good conversation about what that might mean for you and what the risks are etc cetera, etc cetera. and when it comes to the immediate postpartum phase what i'm talking about there is that immediate skin to skin maybe you want to do the breast crawl like i mentioned in the episode um, maybe you want to do delayed cord clamping there's lots of different preferences that you can have there look into the golden hour that's a really beautiful um, i guess way of you know enjoying that first hour undisturbed after birth if everyone is healthy and well that's a really beautiful way to bond with your baby establish you know connection and breastfeeding but have a look into that but they're just some other preferences you might want to talk about with your birth team so I really hope that you love this episode and if you were like me where you thought that birth plans were like you know annoying or like you didn't want to be that person you know I just had so many stories around what birth plans meant but now I realize that the importance of them is so strong and if I were a midwife or an obstetrician I would so want the woman in front of me to communicate what she wants because that's going to help me help her so I think if you are sitting there like me and thinking but you're going to be a bit of a nuisance or you know you're going to be that annoying person who has got this full list of preferences you're not. You're actually helping everybody around you understand what it is that you want, and you're not holding on to them rigidly. You're just saying, I really prefer that this, this, this happens. And if it doesn't, so be it. You're not failing, you're not setting yourself up to fail by no stretch of the imagination, you're actually setting yourself up to succeed and communication is so important. So I really hope that landed with you. Now do make sure you subscribe to the Pregnancy with Laura podcast because we've got two epic episodes still left in this empowered birth series. We'll be covering perineal preparation and recovery after tears or episiotomies. We'll also be covering optimal baby and maternal positioning for all those women out there with babies who are not quite in the right position, that's going to be a great episode for you. And if you want to consume this whole podcast series at once without waiting for it to be released, it is live, all of the episodes inside my Pregnancy Posse membership. We are over there having a great time. If you want to join an epic community of mamas, if you want to learn how to mentally and physically best prepare for your birth, we have a whole resources library on preparing for birth and getting your mind and your body ready. We do weekly workouts to make sure that we are physically mobile and physically strong for labor and birth. And we have an epic bonus module that Loretta has kindly given to Pregnancy Posse members, which covers everything to do with perineal preparation and recovery. So that is a bonus module for all Pregnancy Posse members for this podcast series. So go and check it out at thepregnancyposse.com and you can trial the program for seven days. I will see you over there. But otherwise, in the meantime, I hope you have the best week ever. I hope it is full of magic and love and kindness. And I will catch you soon for episode three, where we cover perineal tearing and perineal preparation and all the ins and outs that you need to know about it. So I'll see you soon, mamas.